around the world. Never give up in whatever thing you're doing. Caring for the vulnerable, fighting for human rights, providing education in conflict zones. You don't know what you've done with your generosity. A nonprofit started decades ago by Bob Goff. Here's a simple version, love your neighbor. Together we are Love Does, and this is the Love Does Podcast. Today is a great day for the podcast. My name is Jody Luke, and I'm the executive director of Love Does and the host of the Love Does podcast. And so many of our stories uh, with regard to Love Does require us to cross an ocean. But there are no more powerful stories than the one with another body of water just up the street from us. Our headquarters are in San Diego. It's on the San Francisco Bay, San Quentin State Prison is the oldest prison in California. I think it was built in the 1850s, and it houses the largest condemned population, in other words, death row. And it's currently home to 3,200 incarcerated men. Many of them are known for some pretty notorious crimes. Um, And Bob Goff, the founder of Love Does, and also a best-selling author of a number of books, connected with the warden there several years ago, and they started a class. And Love Does gets to be a part of it. It's one of my most favorite things I get to do. And we go up periodically and we get to discuss issues like grace and redemption and forgiveness. And we also get to talk about purpose and what does that look like as that plays out in everybody's life. Um, Love Does also has uh, launched a scholarship program there and a bunch of other initiatives. But today on the podcast... Uh, we get to have a man I deeply respect, Brandon Terrell, and he was incarcerated at San Quentin for a number of years. We met a long time ago, and I think we bonded pretty quickly over sports and life. You're a great baseball player, uh, faith and family, and you were, um, Brandon was one of the founding members of our class and then was part of the leadership uh, team there and was really impactful in that. He was released uh, last year, and he is a powerful example of what second chances can do. So I'm really excited to have Brandon. I know his wife, Lacey. They are friends, and I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. So welcome. Jody, thank you so much. That was a uh, quite an introduction. I loved it. Well, that's great. That's a good start. Hey, so tell us a little bit about you and your background. Yeah, my name is Brandon Terrell, as you uh, said. Um Obviously, I spent some time at San Quentin. I spent almost 11 years. Six of those was at San Quentin. Um, made some horrible decisions growing growing up in my younger days. Um, but it didn't always, you know, it didn't always uh, come from a place of, how should I say that? The trouble started after high school um, as I kind of just was going through life aimlessly because I didn't have sports, which was, kind of where I found my identity. Um, and so growing up, it was my hopes and dreams to be a professional athlete, specifically baseball, um, although I loved football. Um, in, in 11th grade, I was expelled. And from that day forward, it was like a, a ticking time clock uh, for me to enter a prison cell. Um, that happened when I committed my crime and took Ryan's life in 2012. Um, and I went off to prison for almost 11 years. Um, mm. I don't think today I live with a lot of, not necessarily shame 
or guilt. I was obviously found guilty of my actions. Um, but I just carry a heavy heart. And every day I wake up, I try to do better for people just because uh, of what I've taken from this world. And uh, so grateful for my wife, Lacey, our amazing kids, our dogs, all my friends like yourself and Bob and Drew and uh, just super happy to be here and in any way I could share my story to to help add value or have impact in people's lives. I'm always uh, willing to do that. Mm, Brandon, um, you know, prison can be a dark place. And it was always interesting to me because when I would go to our class, you would always have a kind of an unmistakable joy about you. And that was kind of unique. And I know it wasn't always like that. So can you kind of describe what it's like to be in, in prison and some of those moments that it was like, oh, this is real. And then how you kind of became a bright light in a dark place. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would say that uh, jails are physical. Prison is internal. Uh, yes, mm -hmm. I was serving time in prison, but I think many people in this world walk around uh, with their own prisons, uh, whether it's a spiritual thing, emotional thing, uh, mental thing. And for me, I was in prison long before I was actually detained. Uh, and that's just because I didn't know Jesus. And um, I, I, I didn't have real freedom. I didn't have freedom within. Ultimately, like no one could take your freedom. Like we have the choice to live free spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. And so uh, it was a long road to get to that place, and it was actually May 21st, 2016, um, when I really met Jesus. I was doing a year in solitary confinement. Actually, it was a hole for death row. They call it the Adjustment Center. It's probably the most secure and darkest. Uh, you did a year? It was an entire year? Almost a year, yeah. Wow. And um, and you know the place because it's directly across mm -hmm the from the chapels uh so it's like you have this this chapel inside san quentin which is just a place of hope and light and faith and then about 55 60 yards across the courtyard is the hole for death row you know uh, a very dark place and so san quentin is a unique i mean it looks unique it is this kind of cross because it's so old between alcatraz and shawshank i mean it's kind of that classic look so i mean that's kind of the backdrop behind where you're talking about right yeah yeah and you know a lot of people when you walk in there's a beautiful garden there's a chapel you see the big new hospital um but it, it you know it definitely is a unique place and obviously you guys are always blessed to go there and take friends there but um when i really experienced that true freedom uh, was when I, I actually was quiet enough and still enough and undistracted to where I could, through prayer, was finally able to hear God's calling, hear God speak to me. Um, and I just got on my knees and, and really gave my life to Him. And that's when I fully experienced forgiveness uh, of myself. I, ex I experienced and, and received God's forgiveness. Obviously, because of my crimes and my choices, I was carrying a lot of... Uh, a lot of shame and guilt. Um, but that was such an authentic moment in my life. And I was like true to God. And, and from that day forward, like I just found a joy. I didn't like everything was removed. Uh, all the shame, all the guilt. Um, 
and I had a lot of work to do moving forward. Um, but God really lifted all of that from me. And that's when, uh, no matter what my circumstances were, like I was going to be free and I was going to find joy, even in the hardest, uh, hardest days and the darkest moments. Um, you know, I was reading, it makes me think I was reading and I think almost 2 million Americans are incarcerated right now. And there was some stat that said 95% of them, uh, will be paroled, but a large portion of them will reoffend. And, you know, whether faith is important to you or not, it seems like it would be important to society to figure out some different ways and some strategies to sort of reduce that statistic. And I think our class that we do, I think has a 0% recidivism rate, which is really um, remarkable. Uh, and in large part, I think it's due to the leadership of the wardens that have been there. There's just an amazing warden there right now, Oak. But can you describe San Quentin and kind of how it's different than other prisons? Yeah, I think like you're, you know, the statistics you shared are absolutely true. And I think uh, there's a quote that one of the old lieutenants uh, used to always say and refer to as today's prisoners is tomorrow's neighbor. And so as society, if you could really think about that, 95% of the incarcerated in America will be coming home to your neighborhoods. Uh, so today's prisoners, tomorrow's neighbor. And, and how do you want to set those uh, humans, those people up for success? And I think what makes San Quentin very unique is um, it's a place where you have such amazing people like yourself and Bob and all the people you're coming in and tons of other people going in there daily. Like I think San Quentin has over 3,000 volunteers annually going into that prison, pouring into the men, serving time. And so there's something special in that. Opportunities come and uh, hope. You guys are beacons of hope every time you, you step in those prison walls. And I do think, though, from my experience, uh, the people who have a foundation of faith, uh, those people withstand all the obstacles that they experience and challenges they experience when they come home. Um, hmm. I think in order to do time, be removed from society and, and live in a four by nine prison cell year after year, after year, after year, you have to have some type of faith and hope. Like even the people that like deny it, like you have to hold on to something. Cause like, that's a very easy place yeah. to give up on. And, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of darkness. I've seen a lot of people, you know, take their lives because they just didn't have any of that. Um, but for the people who are making it through, they have some type of faith, uh, even if they don't know it yet. Well, yours is evident. I'll tell you that, Brandon, yours is really evident. Uh, you got involved with the Ford This Productions um, at San Quentin. I don't, were you, I know you were part of the leadership team. I don't know if you founded it, but why was that important to get involved with that? Yeah, so there was a program called First Watch uh, that was a, a small film program. Um, and then they all kind of paroled and left through COVID. And then uh, there was just all this equipment and kind of um, like no direction. And so me and, and a couple of the other guys uh, came together and were like, let's build off of this. And so we created for this productions. And uh, essentially, we were given a YouTube channel and an Instagram page from the Department of Corrections, which is like a huge milestone uh, and accomplishment. And 
but that was a platform to tell humanizing stories of people incarcerated. And for me, it was, it wasn't about me. It was about telling people stories in hope of creating change. There's so many things in policy that need to be changed. There's just so many stories that whether these men are going to ever come home or not, like their stories have power and, and, and there's ways we could tell their stories to educate youth and just educate people, highlight faith and redemption. And so I took it very seriously. Like that was a, that was a platform uh, that God gave me. God put that in my life. Like there was an accident accidental that I'm serving time in a prison that, you know, has cameras and has the, like a one, it's the only incarcerated film crew in the world. Um, and so I think, uh, it, it was a very special, it is a very special program. And, uh, in large part, we have a lot of people like you guys, which have supported in the past, um, helping us out, right? Like we could tell the stories on one side of the wall, but we need help uh, from people on the other side to, to dis, you know, distrib distribute them distribute them. <laughs> I love it. it. It is a really powerful medium and it's still going, you know, to that end, every time we travel to San Quentin, we always invite a friend. It's a friend of Bob's or a friend of love does. And without a doubt, there's always a wow moment that seems to happen in our class. I leave every time and I think, wow, that was really amazing. You know, I, I don't know if it's the way that we break up into small groups and, the guys are really vulnerable and authentic and there's no distraction. There's no cell phone. You're just really engaged. Uh, and that's so unique to the world because that's just not the world that we live in. And so it, I don't know if it just allows for that, that kind of those wow moments, but can you think of kind of a moment that you left and, and you thought, wow, oh, can't believe that. I think I've had a lot of those wow moments and just like, God did that. Like those moments throughout my life, throughout my incarceration, but there have been a couple of the biggest ones uh, through Love Does, through you and Bob and just all the friends you brought in. Uh, one of them was, um, it's kind of a long story, but to, to kind of tie it in quickly. Um, the first time Bob came in, he came in with Miles Adcox and he came in with a guy named Zach Vestine. Zach Vestine that I didn't know at the time was a pastor of a church that my mom, when I committed my crime in 2012, my mom went to his church and asked him if they could pray for me uh, because I was obviously going through some tough times. And uh, so eight years later, I'm sitting at San Quentin and here comes Bob Miles and this guy, Zach, who, who happened to be that guy my mom prayed with. And so uh, like just instant, like God connection, but uh the next visit, Bob came back with Lauren Daigle and Zach came, but Zach brought his daughter, Abby. And uh, it wasn't a, a visit for Lauren to perform or sing or anything like that. It was just Bob bringing, you know, his friend Lauren to come, you know, visit us and see what we're doing at San Quentin. And uh, we got them. I think the spirit drove, drove uh, Lauren to get up on stage and, uh, Abby, who was actually, who's, I think, touring with Bethel. She's an amazing young artist, but at the time she was a 16 year old Christian up and coming artist. Her idol was Lauren Daigle. Like that was her dream person. And we're in prison. We're at San Quentin, obviously. And here's Lauren Daigle and the 16 year old girl up on a stage singing, performing 
to about 40, 50 of us incarcerated guys. And uh, I just remember sitting there and like, there's no explanation of how this happened other than God is making dreams come true. God is working miracles. Uh, and the Holy Spirit is really working within these prison walls. And that was yeah, one that of those- was a That was a day. And what was so cool about that is that last year, Love Does did a gala. And when we were doing the rundown, I said, I thought I thought it would be really cool if Brandon could introduce Lauren because Lauren came and, and sang at our gala. And you did. You did an awesome job. And remember what she said when she came out on stage? She said, I didn't know you got out. Yep. Yep. I remember, <laughs> remember she said, oh, oh, my, oh, my God, I don't I didn't remember you or didn't know you got out. But I remember um, me and you were you went right before me. Uh, and. Mm-hmm. It just was like full circle, right? I think it was just another one of those examples of God is like always working. Like it's not our timing. We can't like, like we may think and we may have visions of great things. And, and, and but at the end of the day, God is always going to surprise us. I think you say it all the time. God majors in miracles. Um, and he, I mean, he's always just blowing my mind. Like literally I feel like I'm a big vision person um, and he's always blowing my mind. Uh, And that was just another one of those times. It was. And it makes me think of other times. Music has always played a really important piece in that. I think it almost, it says what words can't in a really powerful way in those classes. I remember we, I don't know if you were there for the violinist, Joanna came up and there was a guy who was in our class who was also a violinist and she was too. And so she was going to play at the end of our class and she got up to play and all the guys were like, Hey, so-and-so's back there. You know, he's, he plays too. And she just said, Hey, why don't you come up on stage? And said, do you know, amazing grace? And he said, yes. And she said, why don't you start playing? And she harmonized perfectly. They did a duet violin performance. I don't even know what the official terminology of it that is, but it was like, everybody was just in tears. It was just a moment. And it was just a moment of connection. And, and really, everybody just sort of, they want that. So it music really does play a super important uh, role in all of that. Yeah, um, It makes me think too, of all the times that we've gone up and, and there's been some um, unique success stories that I think have come out of our uh, Dream Big class. Um, I think of Tommy. Um, and I'll just tell his story real briefly because you connected me with him. How did you know him? How did you connect with him? So when I got transferred from Corcoran State Prison to San Quentin, Tommy was on the bus with me. We sat side by side together uh, and got mm-hmm. showed up to San Quentin at the same time. Yeah. So and you connected us recently again, and he was part of our first Dream Big class. And he I remember him saying hey, Bob was talking about dreaming big. And I thought, well, my own only dream really is to get out of prison. Like, this is kind of a waste of time. And then as he sat there and talked a little bit longer, he remembered that his brother was deaf and he had seen some guys around the yard who were also deaf. And he thought, well, what if I become certified in sign language and as an interpreter? And he did. And then this past year is his first year where he launched a class where he's teaching sign language to 30 guys um, that are currently incarcerated 
to now be able to communicate with these other guys in the yard. And I thought what was so cool also was that two of the guards came up to him and said, hey, your next class, I want to be a part of it because they can only communicate when the state has enough money to provide interpreters. And so mm. this it, now this allows a whole bunch of freedom that never was before. And he's, he's graduating his first class now. And I just, um, I mean, how cool. You don't have to change location to have an impact. And and he's doing amazing things. Is there a story that that sticks out to you just with some guys that are doing some different things? Yeah, I just want to touch on Tommy for a second. Tommy is mm -hmm. someone who um, it would be better off if he was sentenced to life in prison, uh, only because the way he was sentenced, his crime, uh, I think maximum was like six or nine years. But because the way California does these enhancements, they sentence him to over 60 years. And there's just, he doesn't have an opportunity to go in front of a parole uh, board. So it will take a miracle to get him out. I think God is uh, working on that now. I think it'll uh, be sooner than later that he comes home. But he's someone that has said, no matter what happens, if I do the rest of my life in prison, I'm going to change lives. And his big dream. Uh, happen. A lot of it was because the support you guys give and, and really his faith though. Like he stays focused. He stays uh, true to God and, and to all that he's, uh, you know, envisioned, but he's like, he has a past and, and just the work that he's, he's doing despite probably never come, you know, his sentence says he's never going to come home. Uh, you're right. Like, no matter where you are, you can make a difference. And he's a perfect example of that. Yeah. And whatever days you have left, just how do you, what, how do you maximize those and what do you do? And so many of uh, the guys that we've talked to just want to be in service to other people. And they've done a lot of work since they've gotten into prison. They've had to do it on their own to get to that place. But that really is kind of the heart of a lot of the, the, the men that we are in contact with. You know, I do also think about Matthew 25 informs a lot of what we do at Love Does. It's the hungry and the thirsty and the sick and the stranger and the naked and don't forget those that are in prison. And that's somewhere in those spaces that there's really something unique and powerful that happens. And we see it over and over again. How have you seen grace and redemption and forgiveness play out in powerful ways in prison? I think one grace, like we're always extending grace to each other. Um, like it's easy to get caught up in judgment and, and judging each other for the crimes that we've committed. Um, and so I think like we're always extending grace in that hand and just, you know, who are you today? Like who has God transformed you to be today? Uh, at the end of the day, we're all chill, you know, his children. Um, I think redemption is, redemption is obviously fueled by by Christ, but it takes a choice. It takes a choice to change your path uh, from doing wrong and living in the world to going the right way. Uh, and oftentimes, I think uh, uh, the road is very very narrow. But there's a reason why um, so many scriptures. Uh, are talking about prison, prison cells, people who were in prison, um, because the re the power of redemption is uh, so much more uh, heightened when you're coming uh, when you're coming out of prison. I think 
uh, I've seen a lot of guys who have made some horrible decisions uh, and have come home uh, better men than they were ever once before. And I don't think if it wasn't for the mistakes that they made back when they were younger, uh, they would be seen or they would be the men they are today. Uh, and that's just redemption. I, I think uh, God doesn't lay, uh, and this is another thing you're always reminding me of, God doesn't allow pain to go unused. Um, and so whether it's the pain we went through or the pain that we put other people through, um, when you get right with Christ, there's purpose in all of that pain. Uh, and that's part of redemption. Mm, well said. Um, I'm looking at you and I, I, as you're talking about all these things, you're talking about people judging you. I, I look and you've got, if, if you're just listening to this podcast rather than watching it, you have a bunch of tattoos. You've got tattoos all up your neck. You've got, ta- how many tattoos do you have? Uh, you know what? I really don't know. They're kind of all connected uh, for the most part. So I just say one. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, there's, it's one big one. I'll tell you that. But I'm just thinking when you're on the street and somebody walks past you, or if they know that you've been in prison, that you really have to deal with stereotypes or judgments or whatever that might be. And of course I know you and it's just, I, I really have the deepest respect for you, but it makes me think of how hard it is for so many of the guys to reenter society and some of the stereotypes and judgments that happen there. And we have, of course, at Love Does, we've thought about how do you help with that? And we launched our Love Does scholarship program that uh, graduates of our program can apply for a bachelor degree scholarship with us and and helps with, you know, just getting their bachelor's or their master's degree. But how how can we be helpful to guys? Maybe it's through education, but what do you think as they reenter? What is what are some really helpful things that they could be doing or uh, to just make that process a little bit more successful. Yeah, I think um, one, like as a nation, as a people, we have to do better at not judging um, and labeling. Um, but I think for me, and I, I, I pray for all the men who come home, that they, one, know who God is and what he says, and that they don't have to worry about what other people think, uh, because that is, uh, that is an animal of itself. Um, if going through life, worrying about what everybody else thinks, um, when you're never really ultimately going to be able to be the authentic you and, and God created us all unique. And so I think as people, we got to do better at not labeling each other and putting us in, in putting each other in boxes. But I think ultimately it comes down to support, uh, support leads to opportunity, opportunity leads to hope and, and in hope there's value. And I think when you give, when you find ways to give people value, uh, authentic, tangible value. The rest is history. Uh, I think there is a yeah. joy like no other when, when you're able to help someone with no motives, just like, I want to help this person. Um, like God takes care of everything else. Like he knows your heart and he's going to bless your path. And so I think when, when mm. men are coming home, uh, men and women, like we just need to build, have more support systems and create more opportunities, give more chances because everybody, uh, has, has probably went through life where they needed a restart. They needed a second chance, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a failed education, whether it's a failed friendship coming home from prison, like we have all, or will all 
uh, come come in life where like we want a second chance at something. Maybe it's not as serious as you know I need a second chance at life because I was incarcerated, but I think um, whether it's a you know a second chance like that or a second chance uh, that's so you know minimal, uh, like it's all the same. And and I think just providing those opportunities, obviously our scholarship program, I love it because education, uh, is, is the way to the future. And, and I think there is, uh, some statistics that, that say people who are incarcerated that have, you know, earned their education, received an AA, a bachelor's degree, like the likelihood of them reoffending and going back to prison once released is like slim to none. Um, but it's, you know, it's just opportunity and, and love. And I think what you guys do by taking so many people into the prison and letting them experience it, one, it's helping them because I think a lot of the people that you guys bring, bring in or just have come in in general, they have their, their preconceived, you know, assumptions or, or, or biases. Um, and then they go in and so they kind of get their healing. God kind of works on them. Like, see, like, don't ever judge the book by the cover or, or label these people. Um, but then oftentimes like opportunities come relationship build and, um, you know, through relationships come opportunity at the end of the day, it's opportunity. And, uh, knowing that 92, 95% of, of those incarcerated coming home, they need, there needs to be more opportunities. Um, and so I just love the opportunities you guys have given me, uh, love what you're giving the guys on the inside at San Quentin. Uh, yeah, just super grateful. Well, and also you've made the most of those opportunities and that's really a testament to you, Brandon, and kind of who you are, but I would be amiss not to also, uh, just talk about families. Of course, Lacey, I love does loves kids. That's for sure. And I know we've, um, we start schools in all these conflict zones because in conflict zones, it's always the kids that lose out the most. And so we've tried to kind of be helpful there. And I know when we've talked to the guys uh, in prison, so many of them want to talk about their kids and their families. It's always on their heart. And I was also reading with those stats is that of the, you know, almost 2 million that are incarcerated, a million have kids. So have kids on the outside or families on the outside. And just what the impact is on that. I think, uh, you know, you've, you're married to Lacey, who's wonderful. She's outstanding. And you have a family. And can you speak to just how you've navigated marriage and family while you were incarcerated? And then as you've gotten out and sort of the impact on families with incarcerated family members? It starts with our choices. Um, I made horrible choices and was living a life that like wasn't right. Uh, and so I really was living selfishly cause I wasn't thinking about my family and, and the people that I would impact. Um, but they're, they're innocent, right? Like our families are innocent. And so, um, I think knowing the impact it does have, uh, I mean, just for us, like Lacey, people are always like, Oh, I can't believe you could do this time. Like that's a long time. But like my wife has a choice every day to wake up and stay loyal and faithful. Um, and just continue to fight. And we all know like the economy and the way the world is like surviving isn't easy, whether you're single or you have a, uh, you know, a big family uh, as it is. And so doing it, doing it solo with three kids um, was very challenging. Luckily, like just 
people, you know, good friends you guys have helped in the past. And, um, but it was hard. She was the warrior, uh, in it all. And I think like those, the wives and the families, the kids who are going about life without their parent because of incarceration, um, like they're, they're, they're warriors. And, and sometimes they don't know about it. Sometimes they become victims. Uh, I know for myself, like when I came home, like I had had a life before I came home and, uh, obviously I, there's people that, you know, had strong feelings based on my past choices in the life I was living. And so when I came home, there was a couple of incidences that transpired and I had to make a choice to move my family from the place they were living. So I had to remove my family from the church they were tied to from the schools they were in, um, and move. And that had a huge impact. Like my 15 year old son came, like we are still working through some of the resentments that came from, you know, he knows it wasn't my fault. I was making the best decision, but still I removed him from his friends, his sports teams. And, um, and so like, the impact is huge. Like I know so many guys who have kids uh, that are incarcerated. Like the kids are out here in the free world and, and they're just struggling. They don't have dad. And I think like we live in a life, uh, we live in a world today that we need good men. We need good male role models, good male leaders uh, to show what it means to, to love each other, to show what it means to be a good husband and good father. And so for the guys who are serving time and have kids out here, like those kids don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do love, it's not, it's something, but just we're launching this Christmas gift uh, program through love does. And we, any of the guys in our class, you know, we got their information for their kids or their family members that at least we want to make sure that they're not forgotten in the holidays. So that's happening right now. And at least it, it, you know, you think about what can you do to help? And it's just those little things, even those moments that just say, hey, you're remembered and how do we honor them? And they, of course, they directed. Um, so they played a part in getting those presents, hopefully, to the to their families and their kids. So that's underway right now. So that makes me feel a little bit good. But I, um, it's uh, when I think about you and Lacey, I do think that um, you guys have done a good job fighting for your kids and making sure that they recognize that they were important and and also being open to sharing some of those feelings, just as you're talking about right now with your 15 year old to say, Hey, how are you feeling? And, and having some of those open, honest conversations, because those are difficult conversations to have. And you've always been really good at that. And to that point too, I think, um, one of the things I was most impressed with when we would go up was just the relationships that you had with, um, some of the other guys that were in the class and you were really closer than brothers. I mean, it was, it was the kind of friendship that you really would hope to have with how you guys supported each other and talked to each other and was honest and vulnerable. Do those relationships carry past, um, when you get paroled? How does that work? Yeah. I mean, some of my closest bonds are with guys who are, uh, still in prison or who I did time with. Um, I'm going to chase, uh, my old cellmate, who's uh, a leader on the love does, uh, San Quentin team. Um, we spent four and a half, almost five years together in a prison cell. Uh, he is like my kid, young, you know, younger brother. 
Um, he calls me and Lacey and the kids once a week, sometimes two or three times a week. Um, you know, I make sure part of my tithing, part of my giving back is, uh, you know, sending, uh, sending packages, sending food, sending money. So those guys could be as comfortable as they can. Um, I think going back to, uh, the gifts, the, the, the gift drive, the toy drive that we're, uh, doing with the guys, uh, through your guys is, uh, through love does. I think like those kids are going to receive a present this year at Christmas time. And like knowing like their father had helped them help get it there. I think that you never know what one gift could do. That might be the gift that that child holds on to until daddy comes home. And I'm hoping and I'm praying like that's the that's the thing that either could bring a relationship back together with uh, with the dad and, and a child, or it's the thing that that child holds on to until his dad comes home. Um, and so it's a powerful thing. Like I don't want you ever to think like it's just the you know, it's just the toy. Like I know my kids had things that I sent home that they that was their like prized possession until I came home. Now they've moved on, uh, but. <laughs> Oh, I love your heart. I mean, seriously, Brandon, the way that you can articulate some of those things, it's really, it's really inspiring and it's encouraging. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot from you. I've learned a lot from your family. I've learned a lot from uh, the guys at San Quentin and, uh, and a lot of the people that we brought up to, to kind of help lead. It's really been one of the most remarkable, again, programs that, that I've been a part of. And, when I think about you, I think a little bit about Paul, and I talk about it sometimes even in our class. Uh, he was sort of a giant in faith history, and he, uh, he wrote a bunch of books of the Bible. He killed a bunch of people. He did a bunch of awful stuff, and he spent a lot of time in prison. And God used him to do extraordinary things. And when I think about you, I think God is using you to do extraordinary things. And so just sharing your story, I think it's one of hope. And I think it'll be hope and encouraging to men and women who are incarcerated and their families who love them. And so I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate your vulnerability. Just and I appreciate your friendship. So thanks today for for being on the podcast and sharing everything you shared. I, I think it'll be really encouraging to a lot of people. And uh, I'm really grateful for you. So many blessings on you and Lacey and your growing family. Yes. Growing family. One on the way. Well, <laughs> I have so much love for you and Bob and Drew and the whole team. And uh, I think going back to that moment, uh, I got to bring Lauren Daigle up on stage or call her out when we were in Nashville. Uh, she had a playlist and I asked her, like, can you please send rescue or play rescue? And every time I hear that song, God, uh, you know, send down an army to rescue. I think of me being in prison and God sending you and Bob and just hundreds of people went through that prison that I had an interaction with that helped me get to the next day. And like, that was the army I needed that God provided for me to get through. And so I just want to encourage like everybody listening, you are part of God's army. You never know who you're going to encourage or who uh, you're going to talk to that, you know, that's their only hope. And they're going to hold on to those words uh, until uh, the next time. And, and so you guys have done that for me and I'll be forever grateful and indebted to you guys. 
Mm. Well, I'm forever grateful to be a part of your army too. It'll be one of the highlights of my life. So, hey, great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you for everything you shared, Brandon. Yep. And I look forward to all the stuff that we're going to get, all the mischief, as Bob says, that we're going to get involved with in the future. Good mischief this time. Good mischief. Good mischief. I've got plenty <laughs> of bad stuff. <laughs> That's right. Good mischief. All right. Thanks again. Hey, everybody, it's Bob Goff here. Uh, I've been part of this great caper called Love Does for quite a while. Uh, and I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you want to have some more information about Love Does, you can go to lovedoes.org. Uh, you could also email hello at lovedoes.org. Um, thanks for listening to the podcast. Here's the important part. Do something, whatever that is. Don't just agree with what you heard. What's your next courageous step? See you later.